1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. to the next episode of the Jason Tales Outdoor Podcast. I'm your host, Walt, and this week we have a an avid turkey hunter on the show, Tim Sizek, from a couple episodes back, who told us an awesome story about his Pennsylvania black bear it has returned to talk turkeys with us. Tim is the owner of Turkey Getter, which is the sister company of Rat Getter Sense and Lures. And later on in the show, he's going to give us a little bit of information about his products, what makes him unique. But before we get to that, we talk about him, his turkey hunting pursuits, his failure, his biggest failures, his biggest successes. And at the very end, we answer a few listener submitted questions from our closed group, Chasing Tall Tales. If you haven't joined that already, you should uh, look it up on Facebook and uh, request to follow or request to join, and uh, I'll prove you no problem. But we put up a post in there pretty frequently asking for questions for our different guests, and I selected a couple of the great ones that were put there, and Tim was kind enough to answer those for us. If you haven't already, please go to Facebook and Instagram, like and follow so that you can get up-to-date information on Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. And we'd like to also thank our partners, Wild Edge Incorporated and Bowhunter Box Club, for making this show a possibility. I hope you enjoy. Well, guys, on the line, I have got a returning guest, one that is uh, backed by popular demand. And uh, y'all have spoken through direct messages, reviews, and and uh, your downloads have spoken. We have returned uh, Tim from Turkey Getter. He was the uh, bear hunting episode about uh, two months ago. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Doing good, doing good. Any better? I couldn't stand it, dude. It is warm. It is it is screaming turkey season. I, I am officially 12 days away from turkey season. I'm jacked. <laughs> this is probably the worst time of year to be jealous of the, of the southern folk. We got like another <laughs> month and a half to wait yet until our turkey season comes in. Even I mean, we got another month before you're going to even hear a gobble. So I'm pretty jealous of you guys right now. Yeah, they've been gobbling wow. down here for like, uh, what, three weeks? Four weeks? Yeah, four weeks. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say probably a solid four weeks. I'm sitting under about six inches of snow with another 12 on the way on Wednesday, so. <laughs> wow. See, Leighton, Leighton would be squirming, but I, that sounds delightful to me. Leighton wouldn't live there. Uh-uh. No. Mm-mm. 
I hear you. Well, so we we promised the listeners that we would have a, a turkey series this this uh, spring that would rival any that we've seen to date. And uh, you and I, when we we got done talking uh, bear hunting, which was was a blast. You said you know you wanted to come back, and and I couldn't think of a first a better first guest that we could have on the show. Um, we're, we're calling this series "Too Hot to Trot" with Harv Dog Harvey, and uh, tur- turkey hunting is Layton's passion. I mean, aside from saltwater fishing, this is his his uh, lifeblood. I mean, he thinks about this more than anything else, I believe, other than his business. Am I right, Layton? Yeah, it goes business. Well, it goes yeah, top three above. You know, the man upstairs, good lord, would be uh, business. <laughs> Salt water and turkey, I can't really decipher. I mean, after the first week of turkey season, though, I'm pretty much done. Or at least that's the way it was the last couple of years. <laughs> well, that's the be- that's the benefit of baiting. Bait my butt. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Tim, dude, you've had a busy uh, off-season. What, what has happened since, uh, since we last spoke? Oh, well, other than uh, processing a lot of meat... Um, it's really been gearing up for, you know, the business. Um, turkey season is now all on the brain. Uh, we recently just got done a couple of weeks ago down in Harrisburg at the Great American Outdoor Show, which I think by popular demand, it's the, it's the biggest show in, uh, in the country, you know, vendor-wise. So that was really good. It was the first time, you know, we basically appeared in public and, uh, yeah, we got plans for next year to hit a couple more shows across the, uh, you know, eastern part of the United States. So it was good. Other than that, it's just been uh, we got some new products coming out that we'll discuss later. And you know, I'm just trying to keep up with uh, with orders right now, waiting for the snow to go away and waiting for the gobblers to start talking. Well, trying to keep up with orders is a good problem to have, I believe. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been good. I mean, we try and talk to all of our customers and get feedback from them and. Yeah, we'll we'll dig into it a little bit later on. Well, that's awesome. When did your when did your hunt seasons end officially? Well, uh, I was out of tags here in December, um, but the deer late season archery slash traditional uh, muzzleloader that goes until like mid January, and after mid January we're done. We're done until spring turkey in May. Poo. So it's it's a it's a hurtful time of year put it that way <laughs> well do you, do you like college basketball because that's about the only thing you've got to live for right now yeah nhl i, I try and keep busy with hockey that's about oh, it oh yeah there you go <laughs> but i forget about this for that's so not much. even a yeah nhl isn't even a, a thought process for me on, down here you know <laughs> yeah yeah well well that works out so you mentioned may we talked a little bit before we hit the record button when when does your turkey season actually start it's either the last Saturday in April or the first Saturday in May, depending on what those dates are. Um, so at some point it'll break if it's becoming, if that Saturday's last Saturday in April is too early, um, they'll push it to the first Saturday in May. So the way the, the game commission in my state, Pennsylvania sets it up is they let all that breeding take place before the season comes in. So it could be, if we have a, if we have a short winter, um, and an early spring, it could it could be a tough season because those birds are done breeding, you know, come mid-April, and uh, you're pretty much left with stragglers. <clears throat> um, but that's the way that they keep the numbers up. 
So those hens get bred prior to hunters going in the woods and taking out a lot of the toms. So Pennsylvania does, does have a, a very good turkey population right now, but I think over the years, I personally have been seeing it decreasing despite, you know, filling tags. But overall, I think uh, I think we're starting to get some predator action in this area from fishers and coyotes and stuff like that that's starting to put a little bit of a hurt on them. That's an interesting thought. It- your 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 game commission makes sure that your turkeys have the ability to breed, and my first thought is they must there must be such a defined season up there that that happens pretty quickly. I mean, down here we've got birds breeding. Uh, Leighton, didn't you say that your dad just saw one breeding the other day? Yeah, Saturday or Sunday or something like that. Yeah, it's a big difference. Yeah, it's a, that's, it just really caught me off guard. So if the birds have already bred, then how willing are they to talk to calls? <clears throat> uh, it depends. I mean, most of the time you're dealing with birds that are henned up. I mean, you know, you hear that anywhere, but, um, you know, nine times out of ten, if you're going to call in a bird, it's going to have hens with it. I mean, it. I've, I've seen it where it varies. You know, sometimes the, I always tell people if they want to come up and hunt with me, it's come the first week. You know, come as early as you can. But... You know, last year was decent. Last year I was calling birds in, in the, like the third and fourth week. So, yeah, I think I didn't fill my second tag until like three and a half weeks into the season. And I heard a lone two-year-old, a nice bird, but after other ones in there. But, uh, you know, it it all depends. But, yeah, I mean, that that's the whole the whole idea behind what they're doing is trying to get these birds bred before – you know, any other toms get taken out. So that's why our seasons are typically later. I mean, you can see how it moves up north as you go across the country. You know, you guys will be starting up soon, and then it'll be the Carolina, and then eventually you'll get up into the north. But it's going to be that, that that's the that's the program that they have in place right now. But if, if you told me to, you know, if I can hunt like mid-April, you can probably go out and call a bird in every day because they're so fired up. So that's so how long does your season last? May through... May through Memorial Day, so basically the whole month of May. And then New York, which is right above me, is May 1st to May 30th every year. Doesn't matter what day it falls on, it's the whole month of May. So y'all so y'all get a similar length in season when it comes to turkey season, but do you get to also hunt birds in the fall? Uh, yeah. Our fall turkey typically comes in around the beginning of November, and I think it's like two weeks two or three weeks. I don't really, as much of a turkey hunter as I am, I really don't hunt fall turkey. We'll, t- we'll probably get into it, but I'm the type of guy where if the bird's not going to gobble at me, I'm not going to hunt it. I'm not a sit against the tree and let's see what happens kind of guy. I just, I rather, you know, play hunter and pray the whole day. So that that's kind of interesting. So we have a, a four week season here. And then we can hunt for the moment deer season opens, which is September uh, 30th through February 18th. By all legal methods of taking deer, we can also take turkey during those months. Wow. So we, we basically get about six months worth of turkey season here. That's incredible. I had no idea. Now, yeah. Now, where you guys are, are, are you hunting Easterns or are you in Osceola land? Where So I am about an hour and a half away from Osceola's. Okay. I hunt Easterns here on public land, but uh, it is not a far drive for me to hit Osceola's. In fact, I'm going to be driving down to my buddy's place just south of Gainesville, Florida, which is kind of on the middle portion of the peninsula. And uh, 
we're going to be chasing Osceola's this year. So that's going to be cool. But it's yeah. the, the neat thing about that is it's, it's, it's almost a hybrid because you have Easterns and Osceola's in the same area. Gotcha. So you get some really cool looking birds, but, um, <laughs> Leighton, Leighton, y'all get like almost two and a half months a season. Yeah, it's like two, two and a half, something like that. By the by, after the, like the first two or three weeks, we've had enough, or I have, because <laughs> especially this year with how bad the mosquitoes are already. <laughs> well, t- Tim, how many birds can you shoot up there? Uh, it was it was one for quite a few years. Uh, it's a bonus tag that you can get for like for a resident. I think it's like twenty two bucks or something, so you can get a second bird. So I've been getting that every year, and mostly filling it, which is been good. It's just. Like last year, I shot a bird on the first day, so it's good to have because I just like to I just like to hunt them. So, you know, I I hate for my season to be over on the first day, you know, after waiting all year for it. But uh, so it's been good. It's been a good uh, a good idea out of the game commission. You know, they're making a couple extra bucks off it. You know, you're probably getting a good percentage of turkey hunters buying it just for the heck of having it. You know, but that's I've been setting up my tours every year now to go out of state and uh this way i can extend my turkey season a little bit earlier and extend the bag limits a little bit too (laughs) so So what states are you going to hit this year so i don't know if i told you this but i'm in the process of my super slam so which is tagging a bird in every state in which would be the 49 states alaska um doesn't have any seasons for wild turkey yet um as you know, with the end of, you know, it's registered with the NWTF and game commissions and everything else, but there's birds there. They just don't have a season for them. So I was hoping maybe by like the time I get this done, like Alaska may open a season that I could be like, you know, one of the top, you know, soonest people to, to bag a bird in all 50 States. But, um, so I have, I, I lost count. I have like probably 15 or 16 States right now. Um, so this year, I'm hitting Nebraska, Kansas, Kentucky, all in nine days, so three days apiece. And then by the time I get back from that, um, Jersey will be opening, so I'll be hunting with uh, my partner over in New Jersey. And then a week after that, Pennsylvania and New York will open. So so I have six states on the radar, including my home state. And there's a couple states that are right next to me that I haven't even shot a bird in yet, so... I'm hoping to add at least four more to the list this year. Layton, you need to get your super slam done, dude. Dude, I've got a business I'm trying to grow. There's no way. That is the busiest time <laughs> of my year. That, that'll that happen when I retire. I'll tell you what. Nebraska, Nebraska is a repeat this year. I went there last year for the first time on public land and basically had the place to myself. And I'm not kidding you. What? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not kidding. And it was, it was in Merriam country, so it was only like, you know, uh, the western part of the state. I won't give away my my uh, coordinates here, but um, if I saw thirty birds, that was a bad day. Like, no lie, it was it was unbelievable. For, so for this year, I need to like get back out there again. So I'm hunting a couple. Yeah, I'm hunting Kansas right next to it this year instead of going up north to South Dakota like I did last year. So um, it, it's that was by far in all the states I hit. Nebraska was the was by far the best state. Dad, gum! I just I can't wrap my head around the the lack of hunter part of it. I mean, that's you know I saw I saw one other truck parked with me the one day when I packed out. I ran into town because I actually ran out of water, um, and there was no water on site because I usually do like backcountry style hunting. Um, it's just a way for me to hunt more and pay less money. <laughs> 
Um, sure. So I actually packed out the one night. I guess it was the day before. I hung out with the, with the boat for a couple of days and then hiked out and ran into town. And there was a guy there that was parked there Friday night. And I figured, oh, he's going to be back in here tomorrow. But I hunted all day Saturday. I shot a bird around 9 a.m. And by the time I got out, there was no truck there. So, But for the land, for the amount of land that was out there, I couldn't believe I didn't run into anybody else. For the amount of birds wow. that were there, I'm telling you. And the Merriams love to talk, so we have a very good relationship. Because I, <laughs> I, I have to give you a little, uh, a little story here. It's pretty short, but... So I packed in the first night. I, I packed in and I found I found a group of birds, and uh, probably about I don't know a quarter mile from them maybe. And I go to bed, and like I'm exhausted. I just drove like nine hours from one of my friends' house in in Iowa, and I flew in the day the day before that. So I'm like exhausted. I go to bed, and I hear this turkey gobbling. And for me, I could I couldn't like wake up and catch myself as to what was going on yet. So my first thought was I'm I slept in and I like blew this whole morning because this bird's sounding off and here I am in my sleeping bag. So I look over and it's still dark out. I look over at my phone. It's 3:44 in the morning, and this bird is just hammering on the roost. It, it was incredible. And and I'm if I heard 300 gobbles a day, that was a bad day. It it was unbelievable how much how much they like to talk, and it was pretty early in their year because their mating season actually isn't until May. So you're actually hunting like flocks of birds. Um, so it was actually pretty neat because it was a lot different than here. You're hunting, like rolling canyons and open fields and pine bottoms and stuff like that. But uh, it was, they all had their agenda for the morning and, and for two days at the bow, I couldn't figure out that agenda, but they would basically get out of this tree you know, wherever they were roosting, they would get out and they would just congregate somewhere. It was like you had birds all around you, and then all of a sudden they all flew down. And they, the next time they gobbled, they were two hundred yards from you, and they were all together. And they, they, I mean, they love to move, so they'd be up and over these canyons like crazy. And all you're doing all day is trying to play catch up and get around them. And that's really how I hunted them was trying to get around them and then trying to get them to work your direction. It's always easier to hunt a turkey that wants to go the direction you, you know, you're in. So it was neat, but I didn't mean to sidetrack our agenda. No, we're here to talk turkey, and that's <laughs> talking turkey, if I'm not mistaken. So, no, that's – so it uh, sounds like I'm going to be in western Nebraska. Um, if you see Come a dark along, gray Xterra, just – just... <laughs> I, I, I do this tour every year by myself, so I, I can welcome anybody. <laughs> Oh, I don't, I don't know if I would, if I would, uh, come with you, man. My calling is, yeah, I'll tell you what, you do the calling for the two of us and and we'll call that a deal. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, we're, we're going into the story, so I I, I feel like we ought to just run with it, buddy. So I've got a question for you. Shoot. And that is what do you, what is your biggest failure in the turkey woods like there's a story that is just one of those where your buddies just rag you about it or you shake your head every time it's just one of those where you just you can't shake that story and it just turns humorous that uh yeah that actually happened i would say probably last year um so it was in the middle of you know my trip last year which i hit iowa um i have a buddy staying in iowa for school so I was kind of using him as a hub 
to hit a couple other states over the past few years, and I'd always hunt Iowa. So uh, actually just got back from Nebraska, got a bird, and then Missouri got a bird, and then hit, hit Iowa. And I, I think I was there for three days, and, and I was hunting public land. And I guess the biggest thing I learned from this is, that, I mean, it's cliche, you hear it all the time, is patience, but for a running gun a run and gun turkey hunter and tell him to be patient is pretty hard to do. Um, so I had some terrible weather like the whole time I was there. Um, and this was a piece of public land that I basically had to myself two years prior and somehow word got out. Cause when I pulled in, there was just people everywhere. So I was hunting around the hunters for two days and I finally had this bird working and I sat down and I missed judged basically how the distance that he was and i usually only hunt woods birds i'm not a big field guy i don't have a lot of options to field um so i usually hunt birds in the hardwoods and the wind was probably gusting 20 to 25 miles an hour and i had a terrible like first two days of hunting this is my last morning like 10 30 in the morning i was ready to give up at around noon and and drive back and this bird sounds off and I know he has hens with him, but he's starting to work my way. And where my setup was, I, where I should have sat and where I did sat was probably a big mistake initially. So I sat down and this is probably another takeaway from this story, but where I sat down, I could probably only see about 15, 20 yards until the edge of the ridge. So that was pretty much my shooting range, and that was pretty much all I could see was these 15 yards, and then it dropped off, and this bird was down below me. And it's always easier to call a bird up because he doesn't know what he's looking for. It's harder for him to see up. It's sometimes a good idea to stay over that ridge, but when you're hunting pressured birds or you're hunting hand-up birds, the the quicker you can get eyesight on them, the better off you're going to be. So I call, and this bird sounds off. So I was about 15 yards from the edge of that ridge. And I call and this bird sounds off and I felt like I can, I can get to the edge of that ridge and look down this ridge at that bird, you know, thinking that he was still a greater distance away. And the one thing I did not calculate was that wind was blowing at my back, which was blowing it in his face, what muffled his gobble. And the bird that I thought was a hundred to 150 yards away was more like 30 yards away. (laughs) (laughs) and i stood up and moved about five yards and me standing up my my tall five eight self was able to see down that ridge just by standing up without moving those couple yards and that bird was just sitting there looking at me and turned around and just tailed right off but with the wind blowing and him being below me and being in the woods i just miscalculated you know his gobble and how strong his gobble how muffled his gobble sounded and it was more, it was muffled from the weather and the wind and everything else going on rather than him actually being 150 yards away. So I kind of put my tail between my legs and walked out of the woods and that <laughs> bird last year. But it was, it was kind of a rookie mistake. And uh, I think that was the only state last year I didn't punch a tag in. So I was, it was, it meant more to me later on the season than it did right in that moment. <laughs> But uh, that that was probably, yeah, my I would say it was probably my most heart for, heartfelt, you know, failure in, in the woods in the past few years. That's tough, man, because I, I bet 
I bet you left that ridge um, cussing under your breath. Yeah, yeah, we could say that. Or, or it was my last day there, so some words may have been out of my breath. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I kind of yeah, no. when I stood up and I saw that bird right there, and he saw me faster. I mean, my my gun was basically at you know at waist high. There was no way. I, and you know, I don't want to wound a bird. So if they beat me, then they beat me. It's the kind of way I look at it. It's a chess game. So if the, and and he got me, you know, it just, but you know, if patience would have told me, you know, just sit a little longer, but I'm not, I'm not a patient Turkey hunter. If that bird doesn't want to cooperate, I'll just go find one that does, you know, God, you sound like Layton. I think you two would end up being really good hunters together, man. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, that, that is him all day <laughs> running gun. <laughs> It's it's you. totally different from sitting in a tree stand all fall. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think turkey hunt to an extent kind of has to be like this, like run and gun mentality. Like you you touched on it earlier. The, the appeal to me in, in turkey hunting is is the fact that you know you're moving, you're interacting with something. You know, it's 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 different than all the others. And if you remove that element, I I can't help but think that I'm not going to be interested anymore. I agree, especially when at the end of the day you're left with a 20-pound bird. I mean, a lot of people don't understand it that never done it. And I've, I've heard a lot of Western guys that don't like – they love elk hunting and everything else, but they don't turkey hunt because there's not that that big game animal, you know what I mean, at the end of your hunt. It's not like getting an elk or getting a mule deer. And it's kind of like you can hunt turkeys in that same nature, you know, and, and – talk to them and like i said it's a chess game you're making a move then they're making a move and then you're you know you're trying to stay two steps ahead of them and hopefully at the end of the game you won but um you know a lot of people don't get into it and i'm i'm cool with that that means more birds for for the people that do enjoy it it's fine with me yeah less people greater yeah that's fine that'll work I think I think I hear the keys going. I think Leighton is googling uh, where to hunt in Western Nebraska right now. <laughs> I'm good with that. <laughs> Just don't post he, it online. That's all. He's been talking about making some out of state trips, and every year he talks about it, and then he whacks well, a couple birds and starts saltwater fishing. Man, out out of everything that I do, I mean, I do out of state big game, but out of state this this whole turkey tour that I've been come to call in it, um, just to hit a bunch of states in a little amount of time. It's fun. I mean, it's exhilarating. It's you're constantly doing something, um, and I'm usually driving overnight. You know, a lot of pe- a lot of people have questioned me like, why don't I just hit a couple states? And it's usually because I try and see people that I haven't seen in a while, or hunt with different people in different states. And but usually I'm, you know, I'll I'll be leaving Kansas probably at at dark and driving nine hours to get to the Southern Kentucky to hunt with a couple guys that I haven't seen since last fall. So it's just, it's cool. It's, it's a, it's something I look forward to every year and something I plan on trying to do every year. So I would encourage it. Definitely expand your, your Turkey season. I mean, yours is pretty long already, but if you could fill those tags early, head up to Georgia, head over to Alabama or something. Yeah, no, I agree. That's my goal this year. You know, we get two birds here, and my hope is that I can fill one with a with an Osceola and then the other with an Eastern here. And if I do that and I still got, you know, a month or so left a season, there's a very good chance that I'm going to end up buying a, a, a Georgia license and going up there and chasing public land. Just because just why not? I mean, it's an hour and a half north or two hours north of me, and I can – 
you know, take a day trip up there and, and, and hunt after and, and get after him. I could shoot three more birds up there if I wanted Absolutely. to. It was capable, mm-hmm. you know. It, it's it's so rewarding on like an out-of-state hunt to become successful in a place that typically you've never stepped foot on, you know, that you've been just staring at aerials and it just doesn't do it justice when you actually get boots on the ground in that area and to walk away with something, it's just, it's an incredible feeling. <laughs> Despite like the size of the trophy, I mean, to shoot a big bird or a big game animal that is, you know, a, a, one of your biggest trophies on an out-of-state hunt is just, it, it's heartwarming. I mean, it, it's really a good feeling. Yeah, and, and you know, I think the other thing that I really like about it is I like almost every turkey hunter I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. And, 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 and I can't say that about a lot of duck hunters or deer hunters. You know, you go in the woods and... I've yet to, and I'm sure with time this will change, but I've yet to run into a turkey hunter that was angry or disrespectful or super territorial or, you know, like super ego-driven. It seems like, again, it seems like every time I run into a turkey hunter, they're willing to talk with you. They may not give you your spot, but, hey, how how was your morning? And you can tell that they're not just looking for the next spot to go to, you know, and uh I think that's one of the reasons why I enjoy uh, turkey hunting so much is because if I run into somebody, I don't have to worry about some freaking confrontation in the early hours. You know, if I'm there first, the other guy just kind of goes about his business. And that's, you know, unique to turkey hunting. That's why you go in one way out, Walt, and you come out a completely opposite direction of your truck and everything. So nobody has any idea where you're hunting if that's how you want to keep your spot safe. That's what, you're supposed to put the, the t-shirt in the window to make it look like your car broke down. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or just I've never heard that before. Or just, or just drop all your stuff where you want to hunt and then drive a mile down the road and jog back. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say this. For deer hunting purposes, I have done exactly that. I have parked my car in a known common area and then walked you know a long distance back to where I needed to be just so people didn't think that you know, didn't know where I was. When I was young and dumb, I, I used to play Frogger again across uh, one of the main interstates up here. Both both sets of lanes and everything. Early morning, late nights, whatever. It didn't matter, but it, it was getting me. I was parking on one, uh, you know, on a parking ride like across the road and hunting on completely on the other side of the interstate. Um, that was pretty young and dumb. I remember hanging a tree stand in there, and my my father is a truck driver. And when, and my buddy came with me, and we're sitting in between the the north and southbound lanes, trying to get you know I got the trees down my back, trying to get across the I guess it would be the northbound lane, and wouldn't you know here comes my father down the interstate, and he just kind of looks at me and waves and probably thought to himself, is that really my son? And <laughs> I think I was like 17 or something, but that was looking back on it, man, that was that was dumb. I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it, but I, you know, I took deer in that area, so I guess it was kind of worth it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's what I would do for a turkey. I'd go across four lanes of the interstate to go catch him. <laughs> if he gobbled on the other side, I'm going. Absolutely. Just call him out into the southbound lane. Yeah, that's fine. We'll just get this done in a quick, fast, and in a hurry. If I miss, then a car is going to hit him. <laughs> I was about to say you can you can pluck them and everything all in one fell swoop. Just call them into the oncoming traffic, and boom, there go the feathers. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of different ways you could disguise yourself, though. 
that close to the road, what you do is you just pull over and, and start acting like you're uh, you're taking the tire off the off the truck, and they're just gonna the, the turkeys are gonna come right up to you, thinking you're not any any kind of harm. You yeah. Know? <laughs> well, we we touched on your your supreme failure. What what would you say is the is the the highlight of your turkey hunting career? Hmm. Uh, I guess. I got to, I got to probably, if, if I had one successful hunting story to tell, it'd probably be this one. There's a couple things that I was able to dissect out of it as to why it happened the way it did. Um, at the, I guess it was a couple of years ago in my, in my own state in Pennsylvania. Um, I was hunting up on some public land and basically on top of a mountain where these birds would, would roost on closer to the summit but you know still on the ridge and uh i had some terrible weather i mean it was windy it was foggy it was raining and late knows what that means the birds don't talk and sometimes that's that's usually a day for me to just stay in bed because up here i mean that's that's like a shutdown i mean if you have a, a dreary day like that the best thing to do is hunt the next day um but i i did i went out and i actually took the bow i had a blind already set up and I think I was looking for my second tag and I knew I was kind of set up on this little opening that was on this plateau on top of the mountain. I mean, it was probably no bigger than, I don't know, 50 yards by maybe 70 yards. And it was just like this little grassy knoll. And I had the blind set up on the side to take one with the bow Threw my decoys out at about 20 yards. And I actually, that day I didn't even take a call with me. And this is coming from somebody who makes calls for, you know, part of their living. And I didn't even take one in my pocket, nothing. I just, I knew this was an area where the birds would come in, you know, if, if I held out long enough. And which was completely, you know, opposite of what I've just been telling you, what kind of turkey hunter I am. So now I'm going to place myself in the blind and try and survive without biting all my fingernails off. So, uh... The morning wears on and all of a sudden I look over this ridge and well, coming up over into the summit, like into this plateau is just this huge fan. And I'm like, Oh my God, like this bird is actually going to walk down here. And then his hen kind of passed him up and she was in front and he was kind of just dancing behind her for probably a good 20 minutes. And I had my decoys out and they can give two craps about him. And I've never, I've never killed a bird over decoys. Like I told you before, I hunt a lot of woods birds and I don't use decoys. And, uh, <laughs> this is probably why, because that bird can give two craps about my decoys. And that hen basically circled around at about 35, 40 yards. And, uh, he followed her and I figured that was the closest I was going to get. So, uh, I drew back and anywhere between 35 and 40 yards, I let it rip. And uh, I heard it whack him. I saw the feathers fly. He flew up in the air about 10 feet, came down, and just ran off. And I was pretty much like, what, you know, what just happened here? So I hit this bird. And so I kind of recollect myself in the blind for a little bit and go out and start looking. And I could see I broke the bottom half of the wing off him. You know, a couple feathers there that were basically just sheared in half. And uh, that was about it. And I found my arrow, which was good blood. And, uh, the thing with turkeys with all their feathers is they don't bleed. I mean, it's very hard to find a blood trail on a bird. So the bird did make it into, into the woods 
And I looked all over for like three hours and could not find this bird anywhere. So, again, kind of put the tail between my legs, walked home, and uh, gave up on it. You know, like like nothing happened. So the next morning I get up and I woke up late. And basically the birds were out of the tree already. That's how late I woke up. So I, I actually grabbed the gun on my way out since I was already, you know, basically, you know, cutting my chances in half on trying to find a bird now that they're out of the tree. So, uh, I grabbed the gun and I go back out and I kind of, I hunted about two, 300 yards away from that spot. I heard some birds and, uh, struck them up and again, had one of these birds break off of the group that were kind of strutting together and I had the hen come in and the hen fed to almost like 10 yards from me. And he followed right in and, uh, I ended up shooting him about 15 yards. So I thumped this bird, I walk up to it, and I'm looking at it, and uh, I usually go for the beard first, because I'm just, I don't know, I like big, fat beards. <laughs> so I'm looking at the beard, and then I go to the spurs, and he's got hooks on him, like, I mean, it was, it was a good four-year-old bird. Spread out his fan, and then I look at his wings, and he's missing the one half of his wing. And I'm digging around on what? his body, and he's got a hole right through him, right through him. And this that that bird survived. It was the bird I shot the day before with the bow. It didn't phase him too much, apparently. Didn't phase him at all. I hit him a little low, and it didn't look like he. There was nothing wrong with him, and I think my biggest takeaway from that is the only reason I killed that bird is because the day before when I hunted him, I didn't make a single. You did, yeah. You didn't call to him. Yeah. I didn't call him in. He kind of was there on his own. He had no idea what happened. And the next day, like I said, if you can hunt a, a sunny day after a crappy day here, it's the best time to be in the turkey woods. And, I mean, it was the, – the whole woods were on fire that day. I mean, it was like just hunting a, a fired-up bird. I mean, he came in, white head, everything, strutting up. I mean, it, But it, he had a hole right through the bottom of him. It was unbelievable. <laughs> Both sides. So that was like, you know, the nail in the coffin there. Like, that was just – it was unbelievable. It, it was a good bird. To, it was a four-year-old bird. I mean, he he went about a he went over an inch a quarter on his spurs and just over ten inches on his beard. And uh, so we call that uh, the once bitten, twice curious bird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the 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 once bitten, twice curious bird. Is that what you yep, said? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's the best title I've ever heard. <laughs> that is so that's awesome, man. You gotta like find a way to make that into like a shirt or something like the <laughs> Maybe we can market it on the turkey getter brand. Yeah. Oh, dude. But that's the other killer. takeaway is from this is if you're gonna shoot an arrow at the bird, make sure you kill him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Wow. Yeah, so was... how many birds do you try and take with the bow every year? How many do I? Yeah. Uh, What's your what do you do you just kind of like wing it? You take a shotgun with you to out of state and whatnot? Uh, typically, like last year, I hunted Nebraska with the bow and then switched over when gun season came in because their bow season ran right into gun season. They actually has a, have a separate bow season out there. Um, but usually, what I'll do here is with the two tags, depending on how I how what my positivity is like with the bird hunt, you know. If, if it's fired up, I'll take the bow. If it's if it's going to be like a run-and-gun kind of day and trying to find a bird, I'll take the gun. But 
nine times out of ten, I'll try and fill that first tag with the gun and then hunt with the bow the rest of the year. But this year, this year's a little different. So the most sought out, you know, I guess, uh, accomplishment in hunting in Pennsylvania is the triple trophy. So triple trophy is getting a buck, a bear, and a turkey in the same year. So not only am I on board with that because I got my buck and I got my bear, but I got them both with the bow. So now I'm kind of like, do I go for the triple trophy with the bow or do I just get the triple trophy and then try with the bow? So I think again, I'm going to start out and just hope that I kill a bird in the spring with the gun just to say I got the triple trophy and then hopefully, hopefully tag one with the, with the bow then. And then, you know, you know, I can get the triple trophy with the bow. That's the way I would do Dude, it. it. <laughs> I knew that. I was don't want to hunt with the bow all year and then blow it. I'm never going to shoot a bear with a bow again. So. <laughs> I would I would cover my ass to be honest with you, and then worry about putting the icing on the cake. <laughs> exactly. So, dude, I, I, I'm on the opposite. I think you gotta you gotta swing for the fence, man. It's <laughs> like how you got an opportunity to make history, dude. If you could do a if you could do the three and then tag out twice with the bow in, in Pennsylvania, I feel like you're really, like really cementing your legacy there. Uh, yeah, I may have to may have to change gears there. I may have to put in a lot of scouting <laughs> efforts and be more positive with uh, where these birds are hiding at this year. Hey, Walt, until you kill one with a gun, I think you just need to put your your bow. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> you just need to leave your bow at the house. Hell, you got to kill one with a gun. Here first. he goes. Here he goes. <laughs> <laughs> Leighton Leighton is poking fun because I want nothing more than to be able to kill every big game animal I go after with the bow. I am ate up with 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 killing something with the bow, and he and I have uh, floundered in the turkey woods. And he is he every chance he gets, he reminds me I need to shoot one well, with a shotgun mean, first. All so. the crap I've been giving you this year, I'm probably not going to kill a turkey at all. Or hell, I'm probably not even going to be able to call one in, but. It's just so much fun to be able to get back at you at something. <laughs> hey, I have a lot of respect for that, though, man. I got I got a lot of respect for bow hunters, especially traditional, you know, compound bow hunters. Because, you know, it, it's tough. It changes the whole the whole scheme of things. Especially now, I mean, with technology, you can shoot a three-and-a-half-inch with those Winchester XR shotgun shells, you know. And people are killing birds at, like, 70, 80 yards. Yeah. I, I take my three inch, you know, if I go and my little Remington four shot and I like to call the birds in close. I want to bring them in as close as I can. My, last year I shot a bird, my second bird that I shot, I shot from at like four steps. Like he just, I was actually prototyping one of our calls and the bird came running right in. I even have decoys out. I don't even know if he knew what he was running to. And he kind of just looked at me like, oh shit, I made a mistake. <laughs> And that was it. Like I wasn't even ready for it. It was it was unbelievable. But uh, that's what I enjoy. I enjoy getting them close. I enjoy letting them come as close as they want to come without getting nervous. Yeah, forty yards is still too far for us normally. Last year, I think my bird was well. Hold on, I I missed it seven yards. Then I missed it fifteen yards. Then I killed him at forty five yards. But. And then the other one we killed was at seven yards, and then the other two we killed was at six steps and eight steps. So, I mean, yeah. Somebody needs to come out with a choke for us turkey hunters that like shooting birds close because our pattern is just too tight. Yeah, because I miss whenever they're that close. Yeah, you do. You do because your your pattern's, you know, four inches. 
Yeah, if you're if you're you're throwing a golf ball at them. But again, I, I think I think they do make the choke for you guys. It's called a modified. No, 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 no. It's called <laughs> cylinder or barrel. Just hell, just shoot the barrel whenever we bring them in that close. <laughs> you know, Leighton gives me hell all the time about not killing a bird, but Leighton can't hit a sitting still bird if he tried. Yeah, but I've only if that damn thing. If that damn thing is running full sprint, he's gonna he's gonna end it. But if that bird is standing still with a bullseye wrapped around its head, that Joker's gonna fire all three rounds and then be cussing and throwing his gun. I've only ever missed one turkey, technically. So <laughs> six times. No, no, no. One time. One time. But if they fly or they run, they're dead. If they stand there still, they they might have a chance to live it. You better hope word You're doesn't just... get out in the turkey woods this year. <laughs> but yeah, if they stand still, I'm gonna miss them. <laughs> but, but let one fly at sixty yards; he's done. <laughs> it's the same thing during duck season, man. We 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 miss the ones up close, but he's got a fifty-five yard shot on a freaking spoonbill, and he and he wrecks it. <laughs> one shot, one kill. <laughs> it's too funny. It's just too easy think, whenever it's just too easy whenever they're saying. standing still. I like everything hard in life and everything else that I do. So I mean, you know, why not? Let's put some challenge in there. Let's let them fly. That's your version of fair chase hunting, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, let let me ask you this, dude. Um, you know, I'm interested in hearing this. I'm sure other people would. You you got a little uh, a little passion there that you call turkey getter. What? Uh, What's the backstory on that? Why'd you Why'd you decide to start up a, a turkey call company? It's and you know what a lot of people might pick up on this, but some might. So originally the company started out as Rack Getter. So I started working with uh, my partner Gerard. I came on and just did some brand brand management, some uh, graphic design, some marketing stuff for him, and just pretty much just being his right hand man as stuff was growing in his on his side of things. So. Uh, we, I mean, he, for the most part, like built up a market. And then after I joined on, it was just, it was exploding and growing. And I, it was a lot to, it was a, there was a lot of possibilities there. So, uh, I mentioned it to him the one night, um, that, Hey man, there's a Turkey market that, that we could be going into. And the way I got into it was kind of, kind of strange um unorthodox i was i don't know probably 14 15 years old and i asked for that was i had a couple birds down i wanted to start hunting turkeys on my own you know i was done with people when i was younger so i asked my parents for a turkey call you know for christmas and what i got was not a turkey call (laughs) (laughs) this was like before internet days and this was before a lot of you know stuff was standardized in the hunting industry and i don't come from a large hunting background in my family so i'm probably the only one in my family i think my extended family that's ever killed a turkey um so what i ended up with was this turkey call kit that i don't even know where they got it from and it was basically and i don't know if this was more like all right if you want this you're gonna make it yourself kind of thing or if it was like i think this is what you want so this is what we're gonna get you so I ended up started making mouth calls when I was like 14 going on 15 years old. And it was just this little handheld kit 
I mean, it was pretty, pretty simple. Um, and I eventually moved up into a, a more commercialized press as I got older and was making stuff for friends and so on and so forth. So I had the background in it and we had the business already going on the rack getter side. So it kind of made sense to, uh, you know, a lot of the time that I was spent in the company, we just kind of said, let's create a second. Basically we, we, to the public, we function as one company. Um, but for IRS reasons, we, we, it's, uh, identified separately. So, uh, so that's how it actually got started. And from our point of view, like when we first launched it, I mean, we were getting in front of like 30,000 people. So from what I thought we can do with this company and to what actually happened, it was just, it was overwhelmed. It was like getting run over by a steamroller. Like our, so the first year that we launched cause was last year and I bet you I pushed out of my place probably over 600 calls, <laughs> which for a small company, you know, startup, that was it, it. It was overwhelming. I was working at the time. I was teaching at the time. And it was just it was all night kind of thing. So that's how it got started. Do um, you want me to dig into like what we do? Yeah. Yeah. What, so, what, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> so like I said, like. Right now, we're, I'm pretty much known for the diaphragm calls. Um, so the diaphragm calls now that I've created my own press, my own adjustments on a press. So what we do is we run pretension latex. So what happens when you make a diaphragm call is most other companies are using a type of press that's notching the latex into the frame, and then they stretch it across the frame. And they usually stretch it to a specific tolerance, Hopefully it's accurate. Hopefully it's what they want. Then they notch the other side. They put the tape on, cut the tape, and cut the latex. So what I found it, through over the years, the, heart, the, the most comments that I've gotten back on my calls and from other calls is the ease of use and how hard it is for people to start up on a diaphragm if they can't get sounds out of it. So there's some things I can drop a couple – tips in here when looking for a turkey call on what to look for so so i run pre-tension latex so rather than stretching that latex across the frame i actually tension it before it goes in so i use a micrometer so i get everything basically tensioned to what i want for each call now that pre-tension latex whether it's a single double or triple read gets inserted into the frame and then it gets notched and it gets notched at the same time so like that that latex has no time to kick back. And what that does is it allows me to set, set these tension tolerances a lot less than competitors. And what that tension does is it, the less, te- it's pretty easy to understand, but the less tension, the, the less airflow you're going to need, need to get the uh, sound out of it. So by pre-tensioning this latex, I can achieve the sounds I want, the rasp I want, the tone I want, in less tension, therefore requiring less airflow and making it easier for beginner hunters and easier for when you have a bird 10 feet from you and you need to call him to bring his head up and you can't breathe. So there's a lot of positive things coming out of it. Um, so we run the, uh, t- I basically run a tension spectrum. So if you look on our website, it will t- start you off with our purge, which is our least tension diaphragm call. And it'll run you all the way up to a call that we just came out with this year called Purdy Woman. And that's the most tension call. 
So the left end of the spectrum is going to be your least raspy, your least tension. And then as you move up, you're going to get more raspy and more tension. So the other thing to look for is, uh, even if it's not a turkey getter call, it's just any call, is the number of reads that you have on a call. A single read, I, I will actually throw in, if people reach out to me and they say, hey, I've never used a diaphragm call, which one would you suggest? And that probably happens on a daily basis. And I always suggest our least tension calls because it requires the least amount of airflow. And what I typically do is I throw in a single read call. Um, I usually just make it custom. I don't sell them. I just throw it in and I say, here, try this single read. Use that. And once you can start to get that down, then move into the calls that you bought or whatever. And that single read, I would never recommend you hunting with it. But it's not going to require... It's going to learn, it's going to teach you a couple things, where to put it in your mouth, how to press your tongue on the pressure, and how to exert your air so that air flows over top of your your tongue and over top of the call and then reflect or reverberate off the, off the latex. So I'll typically do that. So one thing you want to look for is how many, how many reads of latex are you getting with your call? Um, if you're a new caller, you want to stay with a double read or... I would say even a two and a half read. Um, so our least tension call is actually a two and a half read. It runs like a double read, but I can get sounds out of it. Like it's coming out of a triple read. There's a good tone in it. It's a good call, but if stay away from my, and this is my recommendation and through my experimentation and my call building is stay away from anything over three layers of latex. It's just doing you no good. It's a waste of latex so companies that are just pushing four layers or five layers or six layers, six read calls, there's too much going on. Um, the frame's not going to sit right. Your your latex is not going to last as long. You're going to get um, the tension in the latex is going to stretch over time. And what happens is you're going to get reverb. So the way that the diaphragm calls work is with that air coming over top of your mouth, you're getting if you ever see the cuts and why we do different cuts in the latex, whether it's a combo cut or a bat wing cut, you'll see that there's different areas of, of the latex missing in that top layer. So what's happening is that air is getting off. You're getting your sound out of your bottom layers. So you're getting your sound to reflect off what's cut out of that top layer. You're getting that out of on a double recall. You're getting it out of the bottom read on a triple recall. You're getting it out of the two bottom reads. Once you start adding more reads to that call, you're not getting that perfected tone out of that call. You're going to get a reverb or an echo type, or is what I would call it. Um, it's just not going to sound as crisp, and I've just I would stay away from them personally. Um, so what you want to look for is if you're if you're a good caller, I would recommend the triple read calls. They're more versatile. Um, we offer a couple. I don't offer anything over triple layer or a triple read call. Um, I don't see the need for it. I've never had somebody come up to me and say, hey, could you make me a five read call? But I, I don't know what I would do, if I would do it, because I just really don't want my name on it. <clears throat> um, I just don't think that it's, I think they have it down with, with the way that we have it designed right now. I think it's, it, it's, there's a lot of versatility in it. There's a lot of tone changes. There's a lot of rasp control with the way we have it set up. And I don't see ever going against it. Um, and then the other thing what we just launched this year is our friction call line. So again, we're trying, 
we're trying to be the pioneer in a lot of things and it's, it's working right now. I know this is the only company that offers pretension latex, um, from my knowledge. Um, I'm sure there'll be some bad wagon jumpers eventually once we start killing birds again. But, um, the other thing to watch with before I get into this is these Turkey call, Turkey calls are popping up everywhere. Everybody's doing them now. So I would say it would be my recommendation. Like I said, I'm not pushing my brand, but just stick with a company that makes turkey calls. Because most of the other time, these other companies are looking for um, just another avenue to go. And it's usually not coming from somebody sitting there hand-making calls. It's usually bought and you're paying markup. That's just my opinion. Um, but these friction calls that we're running this year... Um, we have a custom design on them. They're pretty neat. I would recommend you just check them out on online. But it, it, there's no wood in it whatsoever. So if you look at the entire industry and how it evolved is the, the friction calls that they were using back in the 1950s, they're still using today. And I couldn't wrap my head around why nothing has changed in the friction call world. So we set out that we were going, we we're going to dig into this, and we did a lot of research we spent a lot of time on some of the best calls and what we can do to get the the best sounding calls out of a more durable and more functional material. So we started making a styrene mixed with a couple other components. And if you don't know what styrene is, it's basically um, shares a lot of properties that glass would have. At the end of the day, it's more durable. It's more customizable. It's not made on a lathe or on a drill press or anything like that. It's actually modeled on the computer, and then we have it built <clears throat> in three dimensions. So what this material does is it's so it's so hard and durable. It, it's like holding steel in your hand it is, my, is how I would relate it. But on the reverse of that, if you look at what kind of wood other companies are using on their friction calls, it's the hardest types of wood out there. Your cherry wood. Um, I think there's another one that's big on maple and stuff like that. And then you can get into the exotics, like the zebra wood and stuff like that. And those woods are so hard because they're trying to find the driest wood out there so that they can use a hard material so it doesn't absorb any sound. Once you get sound absorption, you get the echoing or that, that reverb in the call which you don't want to hear because you're already in the woods. So if you have an echo on your call and it's echoing in the woods, it's not going to sound as crisp and clear. Um, so the friction call line that we have it, with the, with this styrene pot is what we, we call them acid pots. Cause it's actually made with a, a, a an acid mixed with a styrene. And they're, in my opinion, they're more durable than wood and they absorb zero sound. They are solid and smooth surfaced. Um, we have them customizable in the, see my, my background's in architecture. So I actually build the models uh, and design every square centimeter of these calls. So <clears throat> we run multiple, uh, surfaces on them. So I have two calls out this year and really this was a, this was a year we tried them out last year and then we commercialized them this year. But so we have two calls out, one's glass and aluminum. And then the other is glass and copper. So the way they're designed is your glass is going to be your long-range call. Your metal is going to be your short-range call. So the glass is over top of multiple sound chambers to get that sound out nice and loud. And then 
the metal we have on each call we have four different four different areas of scratching surface on the metal surfaces that are built over a single sound chamber so if you're going out and you're trying to locate a bird you're going to be using the glass surface and then if you start to work that bird or you need to sweet talk that bird you're going to switch over the metal surface and you're going to give them some soft purrs or some soft yelps or whatever you got to do so rather than changing calls you got this all built into one call um, and then we have a, we call them micro strikes. So out of all of our research, I was trying to figure out why are strikers like nine inches long and what the, what the reason was for it. And a lot of it is in the balance of, and how it holds in your hand. So what we did was modeled up a handle that would stay balanced in your hand, but it would also be like half the length. So we run little six inch micro strikers. Um, they're easy to carry the form of our pots are easier to hold in your hand rather than a disc. Um, so we're just trying to make things easier. Um, me personally, I'm a diaphragm guy all the time, but I'm trying to get that hands free as much as I can. You know, what's the least amount of movement we could do with a friction call. And that's smaller, more compact calls that are going to take up less space, less movement and easier to hold and easier to grasp. And so far this year in Harrisburg, we, we've done really well on them. And, and I actually really looking forward to the feedback in the field this year. But other than that, that's really what we're doing. Like I said, our diaphragm line is, is what we've become known for. Um, but I'm hoping that this friction call line is really going to take off. You know, I'm just going to be frank here, dude. We are bombarded with a, a variety of products over time. You know, everywhere you go, there's somebody that's pushing a product, and it sounds so genuine that you truly have not only put time into these products, but it also seems like you're coming coming from a very scientific and methodical uh, process that that's creating something truly unique. I mean, and, and is that like the best way to summarize that is that if, if people were to, to buy into the Turkey getter brand, that they're, they're genuinely getting something different than anything else on the market. I can, I can guarantee you that there's nobody else offering pretension latex or, or what we call our acid pot friction calls. Um, and like you said, I mean, a hundred percent is handmade by myself, whether it's uh, computer generated initially. I mean, the biggest thing, the biggest crutch for me was why, why are we not using technology with everything that technology has done to the hunting industry? I mean, I can send you coordinates right now through an app and tell you, go there and go kill a mule deer. Or I can be on a satellite phone and send a text message back home saying, I'm okay when I've been gone for a week. And it's like, why, why are we doing all this technology? We got trail cameras now that send photos straight to our phone. Why didn't it hit the, the the turkey industry and the turkey calling industry? There's no reason why people have to be uh, in a wood shop carving out calls and you're doing one separately at again. And my biggest thing is accuracy. Like I want when when your diaphragm call wears out and it, it's bound to. I mean, a year or two from now, the latex is going to get is going to break down if you didn't care for it properly. Or you're just going to beat it up through turkey season. So when you, if you really love that call and you're going to purchase it again, I want it to sound the exact same way. 
And that's something we can control by using the technology that, that I have at my hands and, and the custom equipment that we've used here. But the same thing with the friction calls. I mean, if you're going to buy a friction call and something happens to it, it gets lost, or and it was one of your best calls, I want to make sure that when you get that next one in, that it's the same exact thing, same parameters built around it. So it's a very engineered um would which would be my term i guess methodical like you said before way of really going about this and trying to do something different to progress this this turkey call industry into using what we have now and not the 1950s of what it came and yes i i get it you know well turkey we're killing turkeys with wood pot calls for years and it works and uh, I respect that, and trust me, I've used my my wood pots back in the day. But there's no reason why we can't look for other other avenues or something better, something more durable, something resistant to a lot of other um, parameters that you know we can in- enhance what we can have in our arsenal comes come the spring. Well, dude, you've sold me. <laughs> this is I mean, no infomercial. It's, it's, it's just, you know, it's just information. Yeah, I mean, this no. Is... And, and I was being a bit a bit facetious there when I said that. But it's one of those things where I like the idea that, that you know, I've had diaphragms before that I've made. Leighton, I know you won't believe this, but I have had diaphragms before that I've made make good noises. And, and when I went to get another one, because they do wear out over time, they didn't sound the same. And now one plus one is equaling two, and it's making sense to me that the process that, that goes behind that clearly is not consistent. That's what it is. And, I mean, I use a micrometer. So it's, it's giving me basically – it's showing on my dial one two hundred. And I can get that dialed. And each call has a, has a representative number to it. So if I stretch that latex pretension, if I stretch that to 150, then it's this call. If I stretch it to 180, it's this call. And that's how I can really control things. But you know that, you know, if you if you went out and you bought our 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 new impulse call, that's stretched to a certain number. When you buy it again, it's still stretched to that same exact parameter. So you're getting the same exact call. It, it's just another way for us to control it. And by pretensioning it, we can control that there's no kickback in that latex because that's what happens when they stretch it across the latex and they notch it in the other side. That latex obviously wants to shrink back to its normal shape, and you can't you can't control when how that what the what the um, press is doing there and how it's notching your frame because it might notch it a lot tighter the first time and then you're going to do it again and it's going to uh, it's going to notch it a lot looser the next time and then you're going to get more kickback in the latex and your tension's not going to be as accurate as it was before. So that that's the kind of issues that I've seen over the years and trust me even when I was making calls I was running other companies calls because honestly in in my earlier years it was cuz I just didn't trust myself. I mean cuz you I was 16 17 year, years old and I got big name brands out there and I could buy a call for five dollars. You know, it was it was worth me. It was it was more in my head than anything to just run something that you're, you know, that's out there because it's bound to work. You know, it's proven. But it's not always necessarily true. And I'm not putting down 
any other company through this. I'm just saying there's. Oh, come on. Just do it, man. Just name drop and just let them let the people know the truth. I'm just trying to explain that why, why it, what you're getting out of it and then why we do it this way. Rock on brother. Well, listen, we, I put out a little post on Facebook and, uh, I gathered, uh, several, uh, questions for the podcast and I picked two that I, I think, uh, everybody could appreciate. Great. You ready? All right. So, uh, question one, how do you suggest getting on a Tom that's been hinned up all season long? That is a good question. Um, that's a real good question. My first thought would be is to wait him out, but by the way he's saying it by saying all season long, if he's end up on the last day, I guess is how we're going to approach this. How? What would you do to give yourself the best possibility of getting in there? Um, again, I'm a run and gun kind of guy, so what I would what I would personally do is get in his living room. Um, there's been days where I've hunted turkeys, but I haven't actually hunted turkeys. Um, and by what I mean by that is I'm out there watching these birds, but I might not be making a move on them because I'm watching what they do. Um, and a lot of this takes place prior to the season. Um, but even if you're in season, sometimes don't take a call or sometimes don't take your gun. I know that sounds very unorthodox, but if you just spend a day and if you can follow that bird around, I'm not saying he's going to do it the next day. But eventually, he's going to be running a similar route. And if you, it's always easier to get a bird to come into you if he wants to go that direction. And what I mean by getting in his living room is you want to be competitive with whatever hens he's got. And if, the, if he's waiting for those hens to be hot, if you can, for lack of better terms, piss off one of those hens, she's going to come check you out. And what he's going to end up doing is he's going to hold out and he's going to let the hens go forward and they're going to come in and they're going to check your setup and he's going to stay out on the perimeter. That might be your opportunity if he's in range. If you're shooting those Winchester XRs, it's probably in range. Um, But if not, then, you know, you're going to have to coax those hens in your setup and get him to bite. Um, That would be my biggest recommendation. What Personally, what I do before the season is – uh, from here, I mean, like I said before, our season doesn't start until the last Saturday in April. I mean, I'll be away for like half the month, but April 1st, I'm up every day, crack of dawn, and I'm out listening to birds. I don't take a call. I don't recommend you ever talk turkey before your season starts. The less you can educate them, the better. There's too many hunters in this state that just drive around, park their car, stop, hit a couple yelps, don't hear anything, jump in the car and go back in. And the birds know the game. You're just educating them every day. All you do is go out there with your two ears and you listen to these birds. Wait for them to get off the roost and track them throughout the morning. Don't say a word. Keep your distance and just fa- find out what they're doing. And when when you actually lay it out, like, okay, the birds flew off this ridge and they went down here and then they headed east, find out why. Go back to your aerial plans. What's over there? When were they gobbling? Where were they gobbling? And that's a good way to kind of figure out what they do throughout the day. And your best bet is to basically get in that setup and get in that direction. Cut them off from where they want to be. Because if you're sitting there with purrs and yelps and that's exactly the direction they're going to go, well, guess what? They're going to come into you. So I probably uh, 
took that a little deeper than than we should have. But um, I just I would love to see like it become illegal in all states that you cannot call turkeys before the season. There you go, and I think I think that's one of those que- those questions though that kind of requires a, a bit of a, a lengthy answer because there's not really it's not as simple as like do a, pl- a cluck and a purr. Yeah, you know? right. I mean, if he's if he's hand up all season, then he's a pretty aggressive. Yeah, time, and in my like opinion. I said, getting in the living room, get in on that bird as close as you can get him before you even make a sound. Uh, bird birds that get startled get curious, so I before if I locate a bird and he's four hundred yards. I'll try and if he's going to keep gobbling, I'm going to try and get into 170, 60 yards, whatever I can, do, whatever I can feel comfortable with, and then call. And I'm just going to startle the crap out of him, and he's going to get curious and be like, "Oh, there's a bird right here. Let me go check this out." So that that's my best advice, and that's the most successful for me. Well, this this next question kind of builds on this, and and I think I know the answer. But how close do you set up on the roost of a tom? <laughs> As close as I feel comfortable getting plus 10 yards. <laughs> and I'm dead serious. If you can get in there earlier enough, early enough, you can get in there closer than you think you can. Um, now, a couple of things are going to drive it. You know, do you know your terrain? If you can find a roosting area, go to it. Go to it in the middle of the day when you know those birds are nowhere near it and look at the terrain. Is there any big down trees? Is there any big branches? Is there rocks? What can I use? Is there a path close by? What can I use to get in there quietly? Um, A lot of other things I do, if I know where a bird is roosting, I'll wait for a wet morning. It's bound to happen up in my area at least once a week during, at least once a week during turkey season. So I will not hunt those birds that I know where they're roosting until I know I have wet leaves on the ground. But my rule of thumb is, Go until you don't feel comfortable, and then go another 10 yards. And that's going to lead into another question that might come out of that is some people like tree yelping. Some people don't like tree yelping. And what tree yelping is is basically yelping to that bird when he's still on the roost. I personally don't, um, only because and it depends on the setup. If I'm above that bird terrain-wise, I'll, I can do it. I will do it. Um, but if I'm on that ground, you know, if I'm 20 yards from this bird, I don't want to make a sound until he's off the tree branch because it's just, it's just an elevation thing. That bird's going to know if you're only sitting 30, 40 yards from him and that sounds coming right off the ground, it's going to be an indication that that might not be a bird. Same thing that's going to happen is if you're calling to him when it's still dark, or it's just starting to get light. If he's close enough where he's going to, he should be able to visually see that bird sitting on a branch. He's going to fly down and go the other way. So my advice would be get in as close as you can until you're uncomfortable with being too close. Go another 10 yards and let the morning play out. Aggressive, aggressive I tactics. I am aggressive, man, because guess what? If, if something <laughs> happens and I blow it up, well, there's another bird out there. <laughs> well, dude, I, I want to be great uh, considerate of your time. and We've been talking for, for quite some time now, but... Uh, you did mention that you wanted to, to give away some calls and we're going to announce that on Facebook and Instagram. It's going to be a real simple, uh, giveaway that we'll probably run for a week or two and, uh, try and try and get people involved and spread the word. And I, I think people really need to, to consider, uh, given, given Turkey getter a try. It sounds like you've put a lot of thought and time into this and, uh, you seem like a genuine fella. And I think, uh, 
I think you do a lot of people good. I appreciate that, man. But yeah, absolutely. Um, like I mentioned it before, let's give away a couple calls and uh, let's leave it up to them what call it is. Um, as far as the diaphragm line goes, everybody, um, you know, more avid callers are going to have a preference on what kind of cuts they like or what kind of read calls they like. So um, it'll be their choice. And uh, like I said, get some information over to me after you select the winners and we'll get it out to them. Absolutely, dude. Well, hang tight. I want to chat with you uh, as soon as we wrap this up. But, uh, guys, this has been an awesome episode. I'm, I'm jacked that uh, we were able to get Tim back on the show and, and talk turkey hunting. I know that's a big passion of his, y'all's, and Leighton's specifically. I've got the turkey bug this year because I didn't get to hunt this past fall, so I'm I'm really jacked. But uh, this is part one of a, of a, a lengthy si- uh, series that we're going to ha- be running all turkey long all turkey season long that is and uh, i hope you enjoyed it and if you did please please go and and subscribe and leave a rating or review so that other people can find the podcast and and know that uh, it's approved by you and others so until next time y'all be good created by man don't miss wild country wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m eastern presented by primos speak the language waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment i'm will cooper host of HuntStand's make your mark podcast for even more content be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand presents on the waypoint tv channel every tuesday at 10 p.m eastern visit waypointtv.com to learn more